I've had this feeling for a long time. And it's like I'm standing outside myself watching me do things I don't want to do, you know? Just seeing me like I'm somebody else, but never ever being able to stop the show. I'm tired. It's Cuddy, right? No, nah, man. Dennis. Seems to me one phone is as good as the next. Only a fool drive all over the world when there ain't no need. Keep on with that shit and I'm gonna leave your ass in Baltimore. I don't trust no man on the road by himself, okay? I'm not stupid. You legalize drugs. Look, this is a tactical deployment. We just wait for everything to get settled down here in these three zones. Then we move. All right, Van, so we are now on episode seven, appropriately titled Back Burners. The thing I noticed about this uh, episode is that even sometimes when you try to shake up the system, do things differently, uh, it still creates the same damn fallout. Mm. <laughs> like, right? It, it doesn't matter, right? Like, even though Bunny has theoretically safer corners, a little slightly safer, because as we see... Slightly safer. Slightly slightly safer. So he's done all this. He's he's secured an entire area. He's moved an old Black woman out of her house. He's done all Mm -hmm. these things for just a slight dip in, in crime. And on the other end of it, he has created an entire public health crisis at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, perhaps even added to um, a bit of an educational crisis because now you have a bunch of kids who were dealers who have nowhere to go and they definitely ain't going back to school. So it just, uh, I guess that is what we're always constantly stuck with in the wire is the futility of this system that even when you try to do shit differently, it's still like, damn, it's still kind of the same old result. Um, What were some of your takeaways from Backburners? Yeah, this is an episode to me where the ugly truth of all of these things uh, was revealed. A lot of ugly truths throughout this episode. Amsterdam, is is seems to be getting off, you know, they're celebratory of it. They're talking about the drop in crime. And then in a, in a brilliant scene, we'll talk, we'll talk about later through uh, Bubbles' eyes, we see what the truth of Hamsterdam is, that it is a fucking hellhole with like, you, you have the double whammy of drug use, prostitution, child endangerment, violence, all of it. It's unsanitary. The whole deal, which we're definitely going to get into more as the season progresses, but Hamsterdam is just a hellhole. So it seems as if it's something positive, but the ugly truth of it is there are no positives to be taken from it. We see that with a lot of different characters. We see the ugly truth about Royce. We finally get the real sort of medal of who the man is. You know, now Carcetti is doing it because the ugly truth about him is that he's a self-righteous narcissist. But, you know, he goes up there to test the mayor. And, of course, uh, you know, the mayor fails to test. Then another piece of it is, is the, the detail gets their ugly truth about what it is that they're doing overall. Because what do we find out at the end of this episode? Right. About Despite- a mic drop. A mic drop, despite the fact of all the great police work that they've done, and they've talked about it and touted it. 
yo, I never did a case like this. Remember, they said it in the first season. Best police work it, they'd ever done. Best police work they'd ever done. The real of it is, the ugly truth is, you expended all of that time, that energy, those man hours, took all of those chances, and your guy is right back on the streets. So there's a lot of hard truths that people had to come to terms with in this episode. Now, within that, and I don't know if this struck you as well, but it certainly struck me. What does it say that Herc couldn't even remember Avon's name? And mm-hmm. you know, Jimmy McNulty and Kima and most of the detail have been so obsessed with him. Like, they would have known who he was right away. What does it say that Herc could barely remember, remember his name? So I thought that scene, I thought that scene was interesting because Herc both couldn't remember his name, but at the same time said that he had locked him up. So right, it was an right. it, it was an, it was an interesting situation. It's like, Ava, this guy I locked up, uh, Avon, what's his face? Couldn't remember his name, but he locked him up. It was just a very interesting. It shows kind of where Herc is on the total. He's a tasker. He's a laborer. He's a day laborer. So he's not as intimately aware of all the ins and outs of who Avon Barcel is as everybody else because he's too busy on the roof watching guys use payphones. You know what I mean? But, but even if he was, I mean, considering the fact that they were very aware where her strengths and weaknesses were and yeah. doing detailed, critical thinking, thoughtful police work is not really his skill set. Mm-hmm. So even... Even everything that he knew about the case, I mean, he should, he would think that he would remember the name because it was such yeah. a big case. But I right. thought that that was a point uh, that was trying to be established as well is that, uh, as you said, like the detail finds out that all this very, you know, you think about it, they did extremely exhaustive police work. I mean, they and had sophisticated, to, police sophisticated, work as well. yes. They had to crack yeah. his network, they had to do all these things, they had to give folks a flip. I mean, it was a whole thing. And to find out that he, uh, Avon, creatively was able to get out of uh, prison after just a few years and ultimately they got outsmarted. And then to Herc, he's just kind of like another dude that that does that has sold drugs in Baltimore. Like he doesn't even really give Avon any respect for the respect. None for the beauty of his operations. Like, okay, he he the way he remembered him, he might as well have been no disrespect to your boy. He might as well have been poop. Like that's the way uh, he would be. <laughs> Shout out Pooh, smart, one of the smartest characters in the show. You know, I missed a couple of truths, by the way. Mm. Uh to a couple of big ones. Omar is forced to maybe control confront the truth about himself. And that he's not a martyr. The, yeah, not a martyr. And maybe the biggest one is th- the shit stirring of Brianna. And Brianna's getting closer to the truth, even though she I don't even think she appears in this episode. She's not a, but she's still a character, the truth about her son. Um and also, even what you're, what you're saying about Herc is that in the grand scheme of things, it just, that, that drives home that it's just not that big of a deal. It is a huge deal for whatever reason, but there's so many things going through his brain. You know what I mean? They, they were, first of all, they were talking about sandwiches and all of that stuff like that. So there's so many things going through that these guys, these criminals, don't represent any real change in these communities to them. They just represent the work, the tasking that you must do to kind of tread water uh, in the drug war. And it's a very, it's, it's, it's actually sort of really poignant in a way that he can't remember his name. Because there's really no 
there's no real weight to any of the work that they're doing. It's just kind of the next man up type of deal. It's interesting. Yeah, on both sides, even though, you know, both the cops and the dealers have to kind of deal with each other because their world, the worlds have them collide. At the same time, they're interchangeable parts on each mm-hmm. side. That's how they look right. at each other. Like, Avon's just another dude. Um, to Avon, the cops are just more cops. Like, so mm-hmm. it's like there's there's sort of this, um, you know, cookie cutter, uh, you know, kind of mentality on either side of it. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's I, I, that just struck me like that. Wow, that's really interesting. McNulty and everybody else is so obsessed with this case. And like Herc is like, oh, what's his name? You know, what you call it? It's like, damn, mm-hmm. dude, like <laughs> you spent months on this detail. You would think you would know who you actually busted. All right. Getting to the recap. So McNulty's plan to go above Daniel's head. Works perfectly. The detail has switched targets from Kentel Williamson to now one Russell Stringer Bell. But mm. <laughs> but it makes um, but uh, McNulty ha- is on some another uh, higher up shit list being Daniels. Um, so uh, they have a big falling out in this episode, which I'm sure we'll we'll dive into later when we go over the best scenes. Uh, McNulty, Kima, and Sidnor discover Hamsterdam while arresting Bodie and his crew, and uh, we we'll see that there'll be some some fallout from there. The war between Avon and Marlo escalates. Marlo lulls Avon into thinking that. He's fled his corners. He's not going to stand up and challenge the Barksdales. Could not have been more wrong about that as he viciously attacks one of Avon's uh, corners. Um, and your boy Poot actually escapes by doing something smart. Playing dead. Playing dead. Oldest trick in the book. <laughs> because he is, I'm telling you, I always wonder that too when I'm watching like Braveheart. You know what I mean? Because I'm when I'm watching like Braveheart or Game of Thrones or something like that, I always wonder. No, when the battle really gets jumped off after you've seen that it's kind of dying down, why don't you just lay it down? You, you, you know what I mean? You've done your part now. Like, lay it down and play dead and, and you know, whatever. I don't know if the guys walk around stabbing people when they're down, but yeah, Pooh Poo did that. Shout out to Pooh. Do yeah. a move I always think people should do. A uh, fun fact that you can repeat at parties that is, you know, hopefully will be useless information, but they say playing dead if a bear is attacking you works. Didn't work for Leonardo DiCaprio. I have never seen The Revenant. Oh, my God. Uh, yo. Man, you're not going to convince me that this is, like, really worth spending budgeting quick, three hours of my life for however long that quick, movie was. Quick, quick, lightning fast Van Lathan sidebar. Lightning, lightning fast. See The Revenant. <laughs> is it really See worth the Revenant. it? It is really Because it sounded like just a it. description, even the trailers. I was not interested in this movie at all. No, and by the way, do not see The Revenant for Leonardo DiCaprio. See The Revenant for Tom Hardy. Okay. I don't know what right. people were I thought on. you were going to say for the bear that they talk no, about. No, <laughs> he is brilliant. The bear attack, you'll never go in the woods again. If there's even a chance oh, that that could happen I don't ever plan to be there in the first place, so right. all good. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, it didn't work. But the bear attack was savage in The Revenant. Crazy scene. All right. Crazy. I, you got to see I, I will. I will take your word for this, and I will perhaps watch The Revenant. Um, so uh, Omar, uh, you brought him up a moment ago. He admits to Butchie that he's still feeling guilty about Tasha's death and to try to relieve that guilt and I think to make a peace offering with Bunk, he finds the service revolver that Bunk has been 
looking for um, because the department, as they often do, they're all about show and not actually substance. So they want to show people, look what we've done. We're such great police. We've recovered the service of revolver of this officer who was injured. Uh, predictably, Royce screws over Carcetti about the whole dead witness thing. Like everybody could kind of see this one coming. And it's a, it's a sad uh, wire episode in this regard. We see the end of Kima and Cheryl. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, we all saw this coming, but like, whoo. Yeah. Went down in a bit of a blaze of glory, I have to say, as far as breakup breakups go. Now, uh, as everybody listening knows, we always do a character deep dive. Today we have characters. Mm-hmm. And mostly we are inspired to do these two because they stole this episode, like they flat did. out. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are going on with both the detail and the Barksdale crew and, and Marlo. All right. Yeah. A lot of stuff that we will certainly cover. But y'all, anybody who watched this cannot say that Bernard and Squeak were not the stars of Backburners. This is right. the black love we needed, Van. This is the yeah. black love that we needed to see on screen. Just so much so much about their relationship, their dynamic. It's in many ways, it's goals in many ways, it's goals. So Mm -hmm. uh, give me your impressions of the Bernard and squeak love story. Okay. Well, first of all, this is our first impressions of them, but I gotta say it's both incredibly goals and also insanely toxic at the same time. Of course. that's That's, that's the, you know, that's yeah. the ebb and flow. That's yeah, the yin and the yang. Flow. It's like yin the love and, and the toxicity. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. Uh, for he, so there's a point where she says she doesn't trust any man on the road by herself, by himself, right? Which tells me, Squeeze been around. She knows how it goes out there. She knows what he could be doing. She's not going to let him hold up and down that's the eastern right. seaboard. That's you know what right. I mean? She's not, she not going to let him do that. You know what I mean? I, I get it. But at the same time, though, if Bernard decides he's going to get into his car and then drive and do these things without her, she can't force her way in. So there is love there. There is an actual love to where he actually He wanted her on that road trip. He, he needed her on that road trip. He wanted her on the road trip, right? Like, he wanted her to come with him. And it's weird how, and the show does a good job of this, an inconsequential interpersonal relationship, just the dynamics that exist between two people are going to end up being so huge to everybody else. This is the biggest farthest away for later in this whole episode is Bernard and Squeak. (laughs) Specifically, when she peeps Shamrock not, uh, uh, is that in this episode? That's in this episode, right? Right. Is it the shamrock and the receipts? Yeah, and the receipts when he, yep. Right, right. Particularly when she peeps shamrock not look at the receipts or file the receipts and just throw them away. After that, that's a gigantic file this away. Because now she's got to do her Delilah bit and take down a strong black man. See, there Samson. you go. Cut his hair. She she tried to edify. Do... She tried to edify Bernard, and you just not even gonna let and let her be. She great. trying to edify. <laughs> she trying to make him break the discipline. See, this is what we talking about. We talking about like she, he. This man is on the road trying to do his work, and she talking about going to the movies. Like it's just an interesting thing, but that's also very important. I say that in jest, but the wire always has characters set up these disciplines these disciplines that are put in place for them to protect themselves 
And the folly of all of those disciplines is that they are incapable outside of a couple of characters of adhering to them. They can never do it. They can never not use the phone in the way they're not supposed to. They can never not talk in the car. They can never really do it. There's only a couple of characters that can uh, that can always stick to the disciplines that they've set out there, right? You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, Squeak is not in the game. It's a weird time where she is, she probably knows that she's been around it, but she doesn't get why they might be doing things the way they do. He doesn't probably share that with her. So her civilian life interfering with Bernard's soldier's strict discipline that he has to do to maintain the integrity and the safety of the whole organization, they boil the safety and the forward momentum, the money-making of the whole organization down into one relationship because that's how fragile it is. It's really... We talk about Squeak and Bernard and how, you know, they become the comic relief, but it's really brilliant. Like, when you run into a high-level drug operation like this, everything has got... To, everybody got to play their role. It's got to go pretty perfectly or else you get caught, and it never can go perfectly, so you always get caught. So, Lester said this, I believe, in season one or two. I feel like it, it might have been two, but uh, but don't quote me on this. And it became the title for what is the 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 best comprehensive Bible written about the 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 wire. All the pieces matter. Mm-hmm. And this is, you, you know, this is kind of uh, the American workforce in a nutshell, is that you yeah. can have the most brilliant, um, buttoned up, disciplined organization. But if everybody doesn't do their job and some of these jobs on the outside of it seem like menial tasks, because imagine if you're yeah. Bernard being assigned the task of going up and down I-95, uh, covering 200 miles to buy a bunch of cell phones. That sounds like the most tedious, boring shit in the whole world. Right. And yet yeah. the entire core of the operation relies on this, mm-hmm. which Gets me back to your man Stringer Bell, all right? Because this is a, this is a slight detour, all right? Yeah. Now Stringer Bell, he is about this discipline. He is trying to run everything like a Fortune 500 co- a company, even though he is not exactly dealing with the brightest bulbs in the lamp, right? Mm-hmm. He is trying to make this as simple as possible. Now I'm not blaming Stringer here, all right? So if, if that's where you think that I'm going, but mm-hmm. Stringer entrusted this to Shamrock to run the phone operation. Now, he's running a lot of operations. He's the day-to-day. He's his right-hand man. Mm-hmm. Shamrock then entrusts Bernard. The problem in this whole equation is that the person who this matters the most to, who has the most to lose, frankly, is Stringer. And he's not there to oversee and make sure Shamrock is keeping those receipts. He can't make sure that Bernard is buying what is it i think he has to buy two phones on every few stops like he he just basically doesn't want him to get them all at the same place so they they're not easily traceable so it's like he is he has the discipline in his head but then you when you're the leader of the company you have to depend on everybody else to carry that same level of care and same level mm-hmm. of discipline and they just don't and right. so and it also shows something that is definitely true because as we're taping this podcast there's a song out there called WAP. I'm sure you've heard of it, man. Oh, oh like, yeah. 
I definitely heard it. Not you, just heard it. I've seen it, and I've seen it several yes. times. Yes, that's right. It is a it is a a piece of art. Right. It is uh, a, an American treasure. Mm-hmm. It is so far one of the highlights of 2020. Yes. The entire song is built off one principle that man has known from the beginning, and still applies to present day and will always be here. It will never go away. It will not blow away in the sand. What is undefeated? WAP is undefeated. WAP is undefeated. <laughs> WAP is undefeated. And Squeak knows WAP is undefeated. So one of the key details that happens in this whole breakdown of their Black love story on the road is when after peeping, and this this is, by the way, why women are masterminds. Mm -hmm. Let's just establish this up front. She peeps the fact that Shamrock is throwing away these receipts and not even checking to make sure that Bernard is purchasing these phones as he's been instructed. So she says, you know what? I want to spend some time with my man, some quality time. I don't want to be buying these damn phones. Mm -hmm. So she then offers Bernard oral sex. She was like, look, get six phones in one spot, 20 minutes of oral sex. What you going to do? Right. I mean, it's not, it's a no brainer. I mean, yeah, it's a a no brainer. It's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. And that's why WAP, or I guess in this case, wham, wet ass mouth, (laughs) is is undefeated. That is why. You guys, I wish men everywhere who are listening to this understand you guys are no match for us. When we combine, when we combine our mastermind with the WAP or the WHAM, y'all done. I mean, the reality is that if, and, you know, I think it was Chris Rock who said this, if you guys, if, it, it's you know, I, my, I used to talk to, my brother used to talk about this. My, my brother who, when he's drunk, is you know, the smartest man alive. He was like, one day, me and my brother are talking, and he goes, why don't women cure cancer? And I, I actually paused the game. And I was like, I want to know where this is going. You know what I'm saying? Because the Hennessy got you real, real. He's like, right now, I'm telling you right now, if women came together and said that no pussy was being given out until there was a cure for cancer, nigga, cancer would be cured by the time the Saints play on Sunday. And I thought about that. <laughs> and, I, and I thought about that. I was like, yeah, that's true. Just like, like a worldwide worst stoppage. You know what I'm saying? It's been done in Greek tragedies before, right? Like a worldwide, and in Chirac, like a worldwide. <laughs> Another movie I haven't right. seen. Right. That one. That one I could pass. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Spike. Okay. Shout out Spike. Um, but yeah, it is true. I mean, the reality is that you can say there are only a couple of characters in the in this entire thing that might have been able to not go for it. Like Marlo, I think Marlo would have been like, nah, man, I got to get these phones. First of all, Marlo would never have a woman with him on the road never. having to do this. It's just not going to happen. It's not even going down. Marlo, I, I don't think it would happen to Marlo. I don't think that it would necessarily maybe even happen to a Bodie. Like no, I don't think he would either. Bodie, but there's still a chance because it's like Poot definitely will. Poot oh, would have Poot. about five girls in the car. Poot would be with the him. wrong guy because like if <laughs> you could never send him to this. If you're a guy, right, and you're anywhere doing anything, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It really doesn't matter. If you there's a thought that you could possibly be getting a blowjob instead of doing what it is that you're doing, you'll always choose 
Wham. You'll always choose the wham. Think about it. Whatever it wham is. Wham is going to make well, it. Think about it. whatever it is that you're doing. Doesn't matter, man. You could literally, speaking of us, you couldn't rely on us to cure cancer. You could be literally thinking about curing cancer. You're curing cancer. Your secretary, or not your secretary, toxic. <laughs> toxic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Whoever. <laughs> the toxic male event came out. Right, secretary. I'm she so had sorry. to be a subordinate, huh? huh? I'm sorry. Had to be a secretary. I'm sorry. Okay, man. I see how it is. I'm sorry. I see how it is. No, you're loving. The spouse or whomever comes in. Right. Like, a woman of equal stature that of, you just happen to be. Exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> a woman of equal stature. You know what? Maybe she's your boss. Now she runs the company. And she's like, you, you know what I mean? Uh, and you're gonna you, you probably stop. So I couldn't, in that situation, while I was disappointed in Bernard, I was like, what you gonna do, dog? You kinda got it. Yeah, you kinda was, got it. Right. Like, what you you gonna kinda do, got dog? it. Um, she didn't get him with the the, the movies necessarily, mm-hmm. but she did. She was like, I know how to do this. I know what it is. And the thing is, though, I guess, and that's about that lack of discipline. One, it, why was she even in the funeral home? And why was she that close to the door? That, like, why would she even come in there? That's the part I don't get. Like, how, why, why he's going to, it seems like someone would have stopped her from coming Correct. in. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the part right. I don't get. So that's like failure and breakdown at the at the initial is that she saw too much because he put her in the position to see too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she started asking a bunch of questions, particularly after she just discovered the gun. She's like, why you need a gun? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, th- this is the thing is, is that yeah, in, the, in this game, this this, you know, game of, of, of the Baltimore police versus the Barksdales. Look, Bernard if he can't even stand up to the interrogation of his woman, he has little hope of standing up to that against the police. Right. He can't even outsmart her. Right. Now, now granted, most women are are probably smarter than the police in many respects. But when it comes to uh, these kind of dynamics, but I'm like, dude, you can't even you can't even keep your shit tight on this area. You have no hope for any. Well, I mean, the reality is that else. women are generally smarter than men, in my experience, and Bernard is far behind Squeak. Like, she kept upping the ante on him, basically. She did. She kept upping the ante on him. She kept upping the ante till he couldn't say no. And she eventually got him to do what she wanted him to do. Also, it's interesting to me that she asked him why he needed a gun just because that, to me, shows, I think I might have said this before, how far removed she is from what it is that he actually does. Of course he needs a gun. He's part of a of a drug organization. A drug organization that happens to be, if not in the full throes of a war, in the in the early back and forth of a turf war. So yeah, if you know that he's going in there to see Stringer and he's with Avon, he's with the Barksdales, why is it so crazy that he needs a gun? So she really is on the outside of it. She doesn't understand that. She doesn't get why he has to buy it. All their discipline and all of that shit comes second to Squeak wanting a Shrek Slurpee, some Krispy Kreme, and to go to the movies. And those are the types of little things that end up, the cracks that become these fissures, that become these gigantic faults that end up sinking these organizations. I mean, I feel like Squeak didn't ask for much. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> she did not. She did not. All she wanted was a Shrek Slurpee, a Krispy Kreme, and the movies. And the movies. That's all she asked for. Right. I mean, if you think about it, considering there's always this constant conversation on Twitter, especially about 
$200 dates and all that. She got, uh, look, Squeak has got to be a man's dream in that regard. A car ride, a Slurpee, a Krispy Kreme, and the movies. What's that run you? Maybe $50? Right. Maybe? Right. Tops? I don't even think it's 50 By the way, can I say something real quick on that second sidebar of the episode? Fam, my brothers on Twitter, stop fucking embarrassing yourselves. <laughs> I'm serious, man. Have some pride. Pre preach to him, no, man. No, no, seriously. Ha have some pride and some dignity in yourselves, man. All right? Look, we have all been in various stages of, of monetary income cash flow. Okay? We've all been there. But if you can't afford to date, then masturbate. But don't embarrass yourself. That sounds like a campaign slogan. It is, if, if you can't afford if, to date, masturbate. If you can't afford to date, then masturbate. But don't make it, don't, don't, don't make it these women, these ladies' problem because they want to go out and actually have you show them a good time. Like $200, dog, if you can't afford to take a lady out and show her an, a, a good time and you don't have one that's down on the kick it tip, stop fucking complaining about it, bro. Stop complaining. Do what you can. Be creative a little bit. Every time I see... Be, Correct. Yeah, be creative a little bit. You know what? Maybe if you make some sandwiches and then make a little picnic or something like that, that's a little... That's probably like a $40 day. You made them. Get your mama to make the sandwiches. You probably live on her couch anyway. So, like, you know, ask her when she wake up, mama, when you're making me breakfast and, and tucking me in at night because I'm broke. Could you also, like, make me some sandwiches because I got to go out later on. Make me a little picnic basket. You know what I'm saying? But stop with this. It's, it's, it's I, I feel for y'all. And it's, by the way, I want to say something else to y'all. I've been where you've been, and it's going to get better. Just hold on. Hold on, my brother. But I hate that. Oh, we, we can't afford this. $200 date. <laughs> Shut up. Like, like Olive Garden got endless breadsticks. Go there, get a filled up on breadsticks, then split a meal. Do something. Try something. But all of that bitching about it, it just makes me, it, I, I hate it. Stop that. The cre the creativity, because uh, I, I, the, the $200 date conversation is one of my favorites. One, you don't, need to go on a $200 date to make it a great date. No. You could go on a great date for literally $50. Exactly. Right? You, you, it, it's very easy. And I remember um, uh, your your gender rained down on me because I was like, don't take me to Cheesecake Factory. You take me to a chain restaurant, I'm assume you don't like me. Okay? So that being said, when I said that, I wasn't saying that I needed to go someplace expensive. I needed you to put some thought into it. Mm. You can take me to a hole in the wall because I love hole in the walls. I love unique places to eat, right? So you can do that. I just don't want to go to a chain restaurant because I want to know that you put some thought into it. Mm. And you actually, you and I have had a conversation about it and that, you know, you understand that I'm a foodie. So like, nah, Cheesecake Factory, Olive Garden, for, for yourself personally. Right. For me personally, that's not gonna cut it. Yeah. The endless breadsticks and all that. But but if you was in Baltimore and they took you to get some pit beef, or oh, I'd be all in. There you go. See what I'm saying? All in. There you go. A lake trout sandwich. Lake trout. All in. All of that. All, right. all in. I'm just saying. Yes. So Squeak and Bernard, they have that down. These are that's right. These are these are little dates, and she just wants a little bit more. I appreciate right. the dynamics of their relationship. I also appreciate how the dynamics of their relationship play into the larger dynamic 
of the wire. And we are not done. We are not yet done hearing from Squeak and Bernard, by the way. No, we are not. And also, I give Bernard credit, you know, since we were talking about dates, is that I, I, one of my complaints is when, um, you know, guys sometimes ask you out for dates. They ask you out for dates where you can't actually get to know them. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, I mean, the movies is kind of a bad date for a first date. It's a horrible date for a first date, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad date because you you go and you have two hours of silence. Right. So, like, you're not really, you have before the date, maybe you have after, but there's, you know, there's a limited interaction where you're getting to know this person. The club, terrible date. Mm-hmm. Like, that means you don't even want to talk to me. Right. Right. We in a loud ass club. It's like, why? We ain't going to have a conversation. So that doesn't make sense. Bernard deserves some credit. He took her on a road trip, which what do you got to do in a car? You got to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You have to talk the whole time. So he was really I feel like I feel like a squeaking Bernard that, you know, even if he meets an unfortunate end in terms of going to jail or something like that, I feel like that they would stay together. I feel like this would be a couple featured on Love After Lockup. I think so, It would too. be Squeak and Bernard. I think this is the... I think Squeak and Bernard represent, in many ways, my favorite relationship romantically in The Wire. Can't think of anyone... Maybe with the... Maybe... Maybe with the possible exception of, of Lester and Western Chardin... Of, yeah. Of, oh, it's, oh, it's kind of hard. It's, it's got to be Lester and Chardin. It's got to be right there. Uh, They're in the Squeak and Bernard are in the Lester and Chardin Wire Romance Hall of Fame for sure. That is correct. I mean, I knew from the moment I first saw their interaction on screen, I was like, here's a couple built to last. They're <laughs> right, built to last. Right. That's, that's, that's all there is to it. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, anyway, shout out to Squeak and Bernard for providing us not just endless comedy, but uh, people should take note because they are a key component of how the rest of season three unfolds based off a lot of things, pretty much everything that you saw unfold in this episode. Uh, now let's get on to some of the best scenes in uh, Backburners. What were some of the best for you, Van? All right. A lot of great scenes in this episode. Number one, I love McNulty and Daniels. Now I'm asking you for the truth. You went to Colvin, by my back. I'd have gone to the devil himself. Which way you were standing, Lieutenant, had not a fucking thing to do with it. You piece of shit. I did it because it had to be done. Just like it had to be done two years ago when we were first detailed. Stringer was the target then, he's still the target now. Lieutenant, you know... As bosses go, you're better than most. And I know you went out of your way to get me off that boat. I know that, but now we're back on the right man. Detective McNulty, when the cuffs go on Stringer, you need to find a new home. You're done in this unit. That, that, that to me was the best scene. It's the best scene in this episode. Um, I talked about this episode sort of being revealing ugly truths. Uh, Daniels realizes something about McNulty in this scene. McNulty is unredeemable. Yes, uh, and he has no loyalty. He has no loyalty. McNulty is who mm-hmm. McNulty is who he is. There's not there's yep. not enough that you can do for the guy. There's not enough places that you can put the guy. There's nothing that's gonna that's gonna get McNulty to be the type of police officer that Daniels wants to work with. The only thing that you can do with McNulty is use him for what you need him from and then get him as far away from you 
as possible. And that is finally what Daniels realizes in that scene. Because even in the scene itself, when McNulty's and Dan- when McNulty and Daniels are talking, Daniels talks very little. He talks very little. He asks McNulty if it happens. McNulty says yes. Daniels then calls him a piece of shit. McNulty then talks, and Daniels just looks at him. All- because he's fl- in a way. Do you think he's he's in a way? Hurt is not the right word, but he seems surprised. He's like, I can't believe I dug this fool out of nothing. Right. And this is what I get for this? Mm-hmm. Like, he is stunned almost. Right. And, like, when he, when he, when he does that, right, he's, he's stunned. But at the same time, it feels as if he's making his peace with something. You know, McNulty has gone over his head. He's done this again. Daniels has looked at the guy, maybe thought that he was a little bit different, but he steps back and he looks and he's like, huh. And he lets him get it all out to the point to where he doesn't even say anything to where McNulty has to get up and walk away on his own. And Daniels goes, just to let you know, I'm not fucking with you anymore. Right. He's like, when we put the cuffs on Stringer, you You need to find a new home. home. But you know McNulty already saw that coming. Of course. Because before he wasn't prepared for that. Mm -hmm. When he did the same thing to Rawls, he was thinking the case itself, if we bring this one in, that will save me. Right. And it didn't. And so now he knows that the cost of me doing this, I know exactly what to expect. That being said, I was thinking, I was like, McNulty got to be a Leo. He got to be a Leo. <laughs> Why? Why say that? I, I'm married to a Leo. I know how Leos mm. are. And... Um, and it, it seems like all a lot of my really uh, close, at least male friends, are 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 Leos, or they have an influence over over my life in some way. My dad's a Leo, my husband's a Leo. I have two really close friends who are also Leos, and the thing that's so annoying about Leos is that even when they're wrong, they're right. Right. And the thing is, like you said, this whole episode was about kind of uncomfortable truths um, and things that. You know, they've been lurking and 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 kind of were exposed. McDulty said it. I did it because it had to be done. Right. And he, and he was right. The target was not Kentale Williamson. The target was Stringer Bell. Right. He was the head of this. All right. And if they want to deal with this entire operation, they have to cut off the head of the snake. Is it personal for McNulty? Of course it is, because he was the one that they didn't get uh, in season one. But he also knows that he's actually the real target. Here's the real case. And I think for Daniels, that's what's so frustrating is that not only did this guy betray me, disrespect me, wasn't loyal to me after all I did to him, on top of me having to take that L, the other L is that this motherfucker was actually correct. That's the other L. Right. And, and you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. And for Daniels, it McNulty doing what he did threatens Daniel's entire philosophy. Daniels has put his faith in the chain of command, not just his career. His belief system is sort of, he said, he didn't say that the guys above me uh, make those decisions. He said the guys above me have the right to make those decisions. Have right. And he didn't say they were right, right decisions. He didn't say they yeah. were right decisions. Yeah. He said had the right to make those decisions, meaning that that's something that they had earned. And the term right suggests that it's something that they had earned justly or fairly or correctly. 
And so because Daniels has those type of aspirations, right, and he believes in that, he is waiting for the time to where he has the right to make those types of decisions. And McNulty's very existence flies against what he has put his belief in. McNulty's existence as a, this is the right target, this is the wrong target, I'm going after this guy, I'm going after that guy, cuts against Daniel's belief in the system of policing um, that he has come to understand, that he has come to, 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 to terms with over you know, all his time in the Eastern and all of his time in these different places. And so he can't have McNulty around him because McNulty is a walking reminder that maybe the way that he looks at things from the policing standpoint is actually bullshit. And that must be tough for Daniels to be around. And this scene, once again, kind of illustrates why Daniels has to get McNulty away from him. Well, but it's also, um, it, it, it also shows you that uh, even when disruption works, it's still hard for people to deviate from what they've always known. Mm -hmm. And throughout the course of the series, every time, every time Daniels has gone against the grain, it's actually paid off for him. Right. Paid off for, yeah, it actually has. Like, you know, unlike other characters in The Wire who kind of suffer, I mean, aside from when he was put in the basement in evidence, mm -hmm. but it wound up coming full circle. Well, no, he made, he made his reputation on the cases that he made, and that's why they brought him back. And that's why they brought him back. Yeah. Exactly. So he took huge chances and risks. And at some point, and every time he just said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to just do what needs to be done. Every time he actually adopted McNulty's attitude, it actually worked. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't stop McDaniels from being loyal to the system. Right. That doesn't stop him from believing in chain and command mm -hmm. or that you got to do things a certain way to produce a certain result. And McNulty is like, fuck doing shit a certain way. How can we get this done? Right. End of story. That's all that matters to him is getting it done. It doesn't matter how, you know, why um, or what course he has to take. He, take. He's about the result. Now, I, I under this is one of those. I actually understand both sides, because if, if you're Daniels, I would have said the same thing to him. Shit, I might have fired his ass right there. Right. Like, how dare you do this to me of all people? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I understand that McNulty and him had gone back and forth about this issue for a while, and he was trying to bring him around to understand what the real target was. But I get why Daniels feels the way that he does, but I also understand why McNulty felt like his only option was to do something disruptive in order to achieve the end result of them finally targeting Stringer Bell. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. Like, disruptors are disruptors. If... If you bring a disruptor into your house, guess what they're going to do to your house? They're going to disrupt that motherfucker. <laughs> like, like people that are disruptors, they are wired that way. They normally die disruptors because they have been too disruptive. So if you're, if you're, if you're a natural disruptor, if you're a natural person that looks at everything and, and, and wants to take it apart and get to something more truthful, it's going to be difficult to change your stripes, especially... Um, if you're not just a disruptor, but you think that you're the smartest person that's ever lived like McNulty. Uh, so I definitely <laughs> think that's the best scene. Some other scenes I had, just to go through them real quick, uh, Stringer and Donette is a good scene. Oh, you know I had that one circled. Right. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I just like, I like when Stringer, I even like Stringer gets, I like when Stringer flies in the, um, his little mini fits of rage because in that one, he licks his fingers real quick. Like he's super mad. Like he does, you know, 
You don't see too many people lick their fingers, by the way, after they eat anymore. That's like an 80s thing. I used to see and he didn't just lick one finger. Like, he went through the whole hand. Right. It was like, <laughs> right? <laughs> what you do that for? What you do that for? Um, right. Uh, Kima and Sharp. And also, also, can we point out one thing about that scene sure. that I noticed? Remember, um, I think it was when they were first getting together and uh, she proclaimed, you know, quite boastfully, old Dinette can burn. Well, she had some that plate didn't look that good. Pasta and some white bread on the plate. Like, she has some box pasta. Look, shout out. That's one thing that I'll say. We love this show, but this is a we love this show, but moment. If you're going to have somebody on there, you're going to say that she can cook. Don't come with, with the macaroni shells and cheese and some white bread on there. It look like set dressing, whoever, dress it up a little bit more. Cater that. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That, I, I, I peeped that too. Um, Kima and Cheryl. Three o'clock in the morning. Nice of you to check in. What? I will not have to work done wide. Yeah, you look unwound. Well, I figured you had everything under control on the home front. What the fuck is wrong with you? What's with the sarcasm? How come you can talk to everybody else but me? Do you really want to know? I'm listening. I miss us. Do not blame that baby. Do not do it. I'm not blaming anybody. I didn't do this by myself. We discussed it, all of it. We talked about it, yeah. But I didn't have as much to say about it as you. And why not? I just, I, I didn't want to disappoint you on it. I don't think I could be more disappointed than I am right now. Anytime yeah. you get a, I miss us after the baby has come, we about to, it's breakup time. It's breakup time. <laughs> And then when uh, when she hit her back, though, and she said, you know, I just didn't want to disappoint you. She was like, you don't think you disappointed me right now? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yep. oh, yeah. You know, what's crazy about the I miss us. I've heard the I miss us on both sides. Just from knowing people after the baby comes. I've heard my homeboys drop the I miss us on their girls. Uh, I've also heard some of the ladies after they've had these babies. I've heard the I miss us. I miss my old life. It's just. Hey, man, let y'all know before you pull your penises out and all the vaginas, let y'all know babies change things. All right? Let y'all know we're not... This just in. I'm, I'm just saying, people don't get it. We're not playing league basketball anymore, okay? We're not going to the parlor to watch the game anymore. You're done. It's over for you. All right? And by the way, if you're still coming to the parlor or still coming to the league game, when we get there, I'm going to ask you, yo, man, Shouldn't you be at the crib with your kid? So, 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 like, if we're like, so just to let you know, it, it, it's going to change. Um, two other ones, uh, I thought um, the bubbles in Amsterdam was brilliant. And that was one of those scenes, um, and to some to some degree in The Wire, I love these scenes almost even more than the ones with the rich dialogue that they so often exhibit, is that that was largely visual and through body language. Mm-hmm. Like, the look... On Bubbles' face when he looks inside that crack house where Johnny is, and he, or even when the guy asks him for for toilet paper, saying that they running out of supplies, but he can't leave or he'll lose his spot. Like Bubbles realizing the depravity, like in in a in a I guess in an addict's mind, it seems like a great idea. We have a designated area where we can shoot up and we can do whatever, and even Bubbles is now seeing the consequence of when 
you're allowed to do this unchecked and without sort of the conditional societal rules. Mm -hmm. Because think about it this way, him and Johnny, you know, they were able to take breaks from shooting up because they were always engaged in some caper to try to get Mm -hmm. the drug money. And so that actually... Uh, took away a lot of bit, a, a lot of time, mm-hmm. and then they had to find out where to go and all this other stuff. So all that that entire flow of that system was disrupted once they have their own spot to go to. That means it's nonstop, mm-hmm. and he's trying to get Johnny to take a break. Like, dude, you've just been getting high all day. That's all you've been doing, and he's like, Nah, this is paradise. I was like, Wow. Right. So that scene doesn't work with any other character in the show, and. The reason being is because when I'm watching that scene, and I watched it three or four times in a row, when I when when I'm watching that scene, I'm thinking, how bad does this have to place have to be for Bubbles, who's seen it all, been through it all, been the lowest of the low bottom dope fiends, right? For him to look around and go, yo, this is wild. How bad do things have to be for him to make that to to to, to feel that way, right? For him to make that to make that distinction in his mind. So when I'm watching Bubbles walk through there, you, you're thinking Bubbles should be the character that should be able to stroll through there. Oh, Lolliga, it's nothing in there he ha- that he hasn't seen, right? He has. It's not that he hasn't seen people prostituting themselves for drugs. It's not that he hasn't seen all of these drugs, the candles and all of that stuff. We've seen Bubbles in those drug dens before. He just hasn't seen it all collapse on itself together at once. And that's simply what Amsterdam slash Amsterdam is. It's selling with a straight line to dealing, with a straight line to the prostitution, with a straight line to the public health, with a straight line to all of those things. He's really looking at the entire world of the depravity of addiction and the drug trade all in one spot. And even for him, someone who is a disciple of that, it is overwhelming. And I thought, and when I watched that, I thought, what a brilliant way what a brilliant set of eyes for us to view that entire world through. Obviously, McNulty would be, uh, you know, he was, yeah, he was supportive of it. Yeah, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? Like you walk, you walk anybody through there at at night, they're gonna be like, "How gross this is!" But Bubbles should be the one character that's like, "Hey, like Johnny, right? Johnny, like he loved it, but Bubbles couldn't deal with the lack of humanity." I thought that was a brilliant scene. Brilliant scene. And one little bit, one little scene, one little scene uh, I have written down right here. We actually, we actually lost the character in this, in this, in this, in this wire. We lost the character. We lost Cuddy. <laughs> Cuddy, di- Cuddy, yeah. Cuddy died in this, in this. Yes, it, you're right. Yeah, Cuddy died in this. Er- There's no such thing. And now he's Dennis. He is Dennis Wise now. And we're going to see yep. the Cuddy. He's never going to be Cuddy again. Ever. He is now forever. Rest in peace, Cuddy. He is Dennis Wise. Very, 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 very powerful scene, man. If you're out there and you just came home, I'm not going to get into it again. I'm telling you there's life on the other side, man. You can do it. I believe in you. So very, pow- <laughs> very, very powerful scene. Cuddy became Dennis Wise. Yeah, I mean, it, it was two two parts. Um, I mean, he was. it was two very real scenes on what it's like for somebody who has served time to come back and try to find some semblance of, of a life. It, you know, it's him going to work, uh, cutting lawns, um, which now when, you know, people see how he's come full circle. When he first started that gig, he wasn't really that invested. He didn't know what he was doing. 
Um, and I thought it was a very appropriate because I thought it was it was a metaphor to what he had been through in general is when he picked up that one piece of machinery and and he was like, that's gas. He was like, I know I got to prime it first. He was like, you ain't got to school but me once. but once. Mm. But once, right? I was like, hit him with the bars, yeah. Dennis Wise, uh-huh. <laughs> right? So he hit him with a bar there because that was also, that also could be applied to him trying to go back and resume his life mm. as a goon for the bark sales is that he learned the first time. And he's like, you know what? Because I've already been through that, I don't need to even do that anymore. Right. And so for him to go, um, you know, from that scene to the one where he's uh, uh, sitting there talking to Deacon, a.k.a. the real Avon Barksdale. Um, and this is somebody who has never thought of what their life would look like outside of being involved in a criminal world. And he's struggling to understand what is his place? What does he really want to do? What are his passions? And these are questions that he's facing as a much older man. Right. And he's limited in his choices because now he has a record. He knows there's something that he has a purpose to do. He just doesn't know what that purpose uh-huh. is. So uh, I thought between the, the combination of both of those scenes just continues to, um, you know, kind of bring home a conversation that we have to remember at that time talking about uh, recidivism and, and and mass incarceration and criminal justice reform, that was not hot in those streets then, okay? Didn't even know what it and was. So, didn't know what it was. It didn't even give any thought, really, to what people who have been in prison might face when they come home. You know, these are people generally who there's no sympathy for. And so I thought it was just so ahead of their time to, to really pull us into this storyline and not have to sacrifice any of the other storylines to do it. Um, so, yeah, so we we definitely bo- uh, both kind of uh, hinted at, or we both have the same list of best scenes. One thing I, I noticed, a couple questions I had with McNulty is talking old girl, uh, Diagostino, I think that's how it's pronounced. Diagostino, yeah. All right, close enough. Cute or creepy? He was creepy? I said, was that cute or creepy, the way McNulty stalked her? Well, it's cute then, creepy now. The rules have changed. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, can we can we put that in the category of what didn't age the best? Yeah. That, that that's a that's yeah. a, or what age that, the worst? That, didn't, I, I, that might be a good oh, one. Oh no, I had that. Oh, what age the worst? You had that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I no, see. no, I had him using his job to look up her shit. Like that's horrible. But that's the type of stuff that back in the day, tiny sidebar, major league, major league, the movie. Uh, Wesley Snipes tells Tom Berger's character, Willie Mays Hayes, tells him, he says, look, follow her home from the library. Do you remember this in Major League? Oh, I do remember like, this, Like, this yeah. was an 80s thing. He goes, look, you need to tailor home from the library. You want to know where she's at, Taylor? And uh, I can't believe, I can't remember, Jake Taylor. Jake Taylor t- follows Renee Russo's character. I'm going to watch Major League later. Jake Taylor will follow some shit. Seriously, great fucking movie. Follows her home from the library and walks in on her when she's in there. It's actually at that other rich guy's house and all of that stuff like that. So, but that's like, you can't do that. And like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't follow people home from work and you can't look people's addresses up and then, you know, pop up at their shit. I mean, that's something that used to be (laughs) seen as okay. I guess it was okay. I would know. Was it ever okay? You tell me. Was it like was you like was it okay? No, I know. I mean, <laughs> I don't think it ever. It would kind of scare me a little right. bit, but 
I mean, and granted, you're talking about some of it depends on what at what point in the relationship they've been together you. already. Right. right. And so that's it's, it can be in some cases kind of a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's there is a fine line between being a creep and wanting to surprise. Right. Like I have an earnest surprise. So seeing McNulty going through such exhaustive attempts and then to put prayers on it, too. So he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the information will be found. Um, but it reminded me of something that happened to me when I was growing up. Um, so I I played softball, uh, fast pitch throughout, you know, yep, I, I, I was shortstop, bad at cleanup. I was like that. Oh, word up. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I was like that. Um, I don't brag about much. And as I tell people, I don't about, I don't brag about things I don't know. I brag about things I do. So <laughs> oh, talk your shit. Oh, I <laughs> right? love that. Whoa. Yeah. So so I was uh I had a game I had to go to and my mom uh, she was out there riding dirty. She tags expired, suspended license. I'm talking about like literally, literally all. She hit the whole bingo card. You ain't supposed to be driving I, at one time. No license, expired insurance, no tags, tail light out. I was four for four. I was. I like. I remember. My my dad was like, my son is the most ain't shit nigga I've ever known. <laughs> and I was like, and on top of that, you a black man. Like, yeah. you will get stopped for, like, right. literally breathing. But you're like, you know what? Right. Let me just see. Mm-hmm. Are the police, uh, are they really uh, keen on stopping black men for some bullshit and do all the things that they typically pull us over for? So she had all these things against her, but I had to get to this game. So, and she had been riding dirty anyway. So in the old, I think she had a, it was an LTD, the old four door that was really just a cruise ship on wheels. Cause that thing is like super huge. So oh, we drive into the course. What do you do when you have riding dirty? You speed. <laughs> so I'm like, why? Cause I got to get to my game. Right. right. So she is speeding. So she's compounding all the problems. She gets pulled over by the police. Um, and she's explaining to them, you know, um, you know, my daughter has to get to this game. You know, she plays softball and I'm there in my full uniform trying to trying to take on that uh, poor, cute, helpless look so that we may be hopefully let go by this officer. And he was like, all right, I understand. But, you know, he's like, ah, I don't know if I can really let you go. You got a lot of shit wrong, essentially. And then he was like, how about you give me your number? We forget about it. Now. The fuck I'm talking about. That like, so I'm like, saying, I was she, like, you have a, a a single black woman, right? Just trying to get her child yeah, to a game. About? <laughs> Look, you know what I'm saying? Uh, if you the police take you take that opportunity to be like, I'm gonna shoot my shot right I'm now. I'm telling you, this is what people don't understand about men. We walk around with two balls at all times, so we always ready to shoot. You feel what I'm saying? It's like we always got we all we always ready. It don't matter. You could be at a funeral. You know what I'm saying? You could be on the moon on some NASA shit. You always got two balls with you. You always ready to shoot. You feel what I'm saying? That man, like that, that's the deal. I, I, he was like Steph Curry from deep. Like boom, I I'm telling you, shot. baby. But, but, of course, in that situation, my mom ain't going to say no. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So she gave him the number. I think they actually did go out once. I might have to ask her what happened to old Officer Friendly. Ah! Um, <laughs> um no, you know, I, but because it worked in that instance, and this is the thing I noticed about dudes, is that you guys will try the same approach 20 times if it works on one woman. It works on everybody. See, because 
It works on everybody because, uh, oh boy, Tom Berenger stalked her at the library. They don't work out. He gonna stalk the next 20 women at the library. Thinking it works. McNulty the same way. Like, you look at it, maybe, you know, this works with McNulty. He's a detective. He's detecting shit. And, by the way, it worked for him. Like, it, 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 it went down. She liked it. She liked it. But I'm not sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna vote creepy. Fellas, don't do that. Okay. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't follow women. Even though they had, they had some level of acquaintance. Right. They knew each other biblically. Right. So that counts for something. Right. Uh, was there anything? What age the best for you? Headsprung, the LL Cool J song. When Avon, that's a good when one. Avon is riding around, uh, when Avon is riding around and her sees Avon, we be up in the club, we be yeah, posting the back. <laughs> and by the way, like when that's when underrated song un- too. Super underrated. Very it, underrated. Like, song. It was underrated then, by the way. It was underrated then. Mm-hmm. I used I, agree. I used to play it at the end of every shift at Best Buy in Baton Rouge. And like it, we I turn up loud and get people they'd be like, yo, that's knocking. Who is that? I'm like, that's that LL Cool J. They'd be like, yo, turn that shit off. But um, but uh, but no, and, and when I, as soon as I heard it in this episode, I got happy. That aged that aged incredibly for me. I'm later on. I'm gonna watch Major League and listen to Headsprung while I run. <laughs> on the music tip, again, kudos to Bernard. He, he, the music they played in the car was banging. You talk about aged incredibly well. One of the songs that they played uh, while they were riding around getting these phones. Uh, Confessions. Oh yeah, by Usher. Yeah, 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 yeah. Undefeated. undefeated. That song is undefeated. Amazing. So I got to give Bernard all the credit uh, for bumping um, all the tunes he was bumping in the car, just setting the mood. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, Bernard. Yeah. The, the, you know, a, a, a great boyfriend. Right. <laughs> um, also, with age pretty well. So Carve, uh, as we start to see some of his evolution, by the way, mm-hmm. he uh, you know tells his particular uh, upper-level drug dealer that he got to kick in that 100 bucks after letting go of his workforce. And what always ages well is employers taking care of their employees, getting them to adopt some workplace practices Mm -hmm. that might actually be for good, um, that might actually um, do something in the face of of these employee-employer relationships. So I was like, oh, that, that ages pretty well that when you see um, a particular level of care uh, by your employer, even after they've they've let you go. Uh, uh, unfortunately, most employers are not that way. But I was like, you know what? Shout out to Car for making sure that 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 got done. Uh, in terms of uh, what aged the worst, how you feel about Slurpees? Slurpees age. It's still a Slurpees thing. age bad. That's what I thought. I feel like they age poorly. It, it, they did age. They age bad because we never get them anymore. But here's the thing, though. If you do get one, my sister, you are going to freak out at how good the Slurpee tastes. If you let yourself get one, because I'm a sucker for a good blended drink. I bought a blender just so I could make a little pino colada. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Is this part of your 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 addiction to ordering things? Yeah. Yeah, just, by the way, okay. it's gotten even stupider. Like, I got packages to go pick up after we do this. It's just dumb. But I got a blender. But, like, if you, the Slurpees, definitely, we, we don't drink the Slurpees anymore. I don't know why. I don't know how we used to drink that much sugar all the time. Like, we used to be on the Slurpees. I used to get the big, we just 
Think about how much. Well, especially growing up in the Louisiana, oh though, because Slurpees were like deal. still our thing. Big, yeah, they're a big, big deal. Big Slurpees and stuff like that. But I'm telling you right now, if, if if you ever take the Slurpee, take a little bit of the vodka or the rum, all right, mix it right. up. Is 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 dope. But I haven't had a Slurpee in over ten years, probably fifteen. All right, confession time. I have never had a Slurpee. You know, like. Uh, you no, know, I've never had one. Like, what's like? What, you know, like, they what, just, what the, I don't know. It just it just really seemed like it was something it, I'd be into. It's, it's, you know, it's like we we build a friendship. And I'm thinking, yo, Jamel is like my she's my friend. I tell people all the time. He's like, you know, Jamel Hill is famous. Yeah, Vice TV, all of that stuff. A uh, Jamel TV. Jamel is my friend. And then every time I start thinking that, my Martin, I said us, I said us back. Yeah, it's like how could you have never in life had a Slurpee before? And so you never had the Shrek Slurpee. No, oh my God. I, didn't even know, I, I didn't even know what that was. I mean, I know what Shrek is, but I don't know. I mean, you I didn't even a, know what that what was. What would you do in like a 7-Eleven or a Circle K? What would you do in there? First of all, we didn't have 7-Elevens in Detroit. Man. They have, a, I think they have them now. Go ahead, make a Detroit joke. I'm not going to make a Detroit joke. But, you, you want to? You want to? I'm not, 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 not going to make a Detroit joke, but when you talk to people from, from Detroit, God bless y'all, man. When you talk to like, like seriously, like, the, like Detroit, you'd be like, um, yeah, man, you ever heard of, like, a, a ham sandwich? You'd be like, it, it was, you take two pieces of bread. Some people from Detroit be like, what's bread? <laughs> what is, I hate you, man, Like, so what is much. bread? Is that, they have, I'm like, you know, you bake the bread and you eat it? Nah, we ain't, we ain't had that bread. Like, we would take, <laughs> if we wanted a sandwich, we'd take a piece of bologna and put it between two Timberlands and just eat it. That's what we... <laughs> First of all, that's New York. Oh, okay, I, I think the niggas in Detroit go harder with the Tims, but we digress. You think so? I, I really do. I mean, and now if you just said we put a, two uh, pieces of bologna between a pair of gators, okay, that okay, would have made there sense. You go. <laughs> that's that that would have made oh, sense. God. But no, we didn't have we had we had party stores. See, our party stores off the hook, and so, like at our party stores in Detroit, you could get first of all. The party stores in Detroit carry a shot of every single liquor. Like, you know, like you go to some liquor stores, all our party stores sell liquor, number one. And uh, you go to some, um, you know, liquor stores or whatever, they only have like a certain selection of shots. Not in a D, okay? You could get every single thing that they sell a fifth of, a pint of, in a shot. Mm. Even better, they all give you cups, and ask if you want you ice. Told me. And they keep, yeah, yeah. So our party stores are the shit. So like, we didn't need a Seven Eleven. I mean, I'm sure some of those party stores definitely had Slurpee machines. I just never engaged. Um, you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't like da- daiquiris. I, you know, I'm not a pina colada mm-hmm. person. Okay. You know, I don't like sweet drinks. I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody like I'm a salty person. Mm-hmm. Like that's my flavor. Right. Like, right? That makes sense. I'm not a sweet that person. That makes sense. You're salty. Oh, stop it. Makes it. sense. Stop it. That stop makes a it. lot of sense. I walk right into that right. one. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So, no, to me, Slurpees, not because I haven't had one, but generally, I just don't hear people talk about, you know, um, getting Slurpees. And when you when I do go to 7-Eleven, just like the McDonald's ice cream machine, I notice the Slurpee machine broke. always broken. Um, um, for me, vo- anything vo- else? Yep. Vocal. Remember Nelly's t-shirt brand? It's like I totally forgot about yeah, that. It's a lot of vocal tank top on at this point, um, but like it, it's a lot of defunct clothing brands that you see. Uh, shout out to Mo, but there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of defunct clothing brands that you see 
But Vocal is one of the ones that you just, after a time, it just went in. It didn't like, it didn't go out of style. It went instinct. It went, it, oh, like, it wow. just went, you just never saw it against. Was it, was it a thing? I mean, did it get hot? Well, high? here's the thing. With a lot of those streetwear brands, they were all kind of a thing, right? Like having a Vocal shirt on was better than having a no-cal shirt on. So they were like, you know, they were all kind of a thing at one point, but like seeing that, that definitely really went like really not kind of nowhere. But uh, yeah, so I, I noticed, I noticed when I saw the vocal shirt that the guy was wearing that that didn't go anywhere. Um, I want to point one thing out when we point out, this is a scene we missed uh, from Best Scenes, which was Snoop's hit on the Barstale Corner. We did. Okay. I just want to put this in right here. What was Poot doing right before the corner got shot at? I'm trying to remember. What was he doing? He was eating. <gasps> to your theory. Yeah, he, anytime you eat, you get smoked. He, was, he had gone to get... He had gone inside, yeah. a bag of chips. Let me do these chips, and then I'll get your cigs. And right as he's getting his little eat on, probably some good crab chips. She came through in the pink and bop, 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 bop. Don't eat. Don't eat. Don't eat. Don't eat. Don't eat on the wire, man. Um, you might, something might happen yep. to you. Wow. But that's what age the worst for. Uh, all right. Uh, which now brings us to um, Stringer and his fuckboyness. Sure. So he getting all loud with Donette, which is basically Stringer trying to minimize a situation that he created. Mm -hmm. And it because he has to keep his attention on this particular uh, situation, he has to let everyone else or his the 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 trusted men in his organization handle the phones, more responsibility for Shamrock cuz he has got to minimize this D'Angelo situation. Mm -hmm. He's trying he's upset at Donette whose food did not look that good. Right. That he is apparently tearing up, mm -hmm. right? And and I love the progression of their relationship, right? It starts off to a just a sneak through, right. um, you know, type of thing. Like, you know, don't nobody have to know. To now, they just having full-scale dinners with whack-ass looking garlic yeah, bread. Yeah, I see it. They, got, they made their house a home. They, right. Mm -hmm. Like, Stringer is like, we don't know if he's living there because it kind of seemed real comfortable. Yeah. You know, he's got the A shirt on. He's like, he just chilling. Like, he just right at home. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is the disgrace. On behalf of all D'Angelo fans and D'Angelo himself, who I'm sure in the great yonder was mis wishing many bad things on Stringer. Right. Um, but, of course, you know, Stringer uh, is it's funny because in this series, like, we, we actually don't see him lose his cool that much. Like, it happens kind of rarely. Because uh, he tries to be the cool, calm, collected businessman. Only when he gets really frustrated does he turn into what we see him turn into in this episode. Because he's upset that Donette did something that would have been natural in anybody's situation. Mm -hmm. Which is, of course, she's going to tell D'Angelo's mother that this cop came around suggesting that her son's suicide was a murder and not a suicide. That's natural information to share. Nor, um, it reminds me of how when uh you know you you're in, in personal relationships with friends in particular they share something with you but they don't give you the caveat of like now don't tell such and such right. and then when you tell such and such they want to get mad at you be like you ain't give me the instructions right. i ain't get the information right. so stringer never told her don't tell brianna about the cop and now he want to be mad at her 
because she did something that was, frankly, common sense. Right. Yeah. That's what I do is the worst. I mean, look. And I tell you, the countdown is on. Well, well I'll, tell you, I'll tell you like this. Till it gets what's coming. I'll tell you like this. To your point, sometimes, you know, it stringers, stringers fuck up right there was thinking that Donette is in the game. She's not in the game. She's outside of the game. Correct. So, like, so she, he's expecting her to think like he like thinks. he thinks, and she does, and right. she doesn't, she doesn't think like she thinks. And, and no. what, by the way, to to what you just said a second ago, sometimes if sometimes if you don't want me to tell somebody, then you can't tell me, and I'll tell you why. If the person is too close to me, I'm going to tell them. Then you're yeah, yeah right. You're forced in that situation yeah, to do yeah. it. So like in that situation. The relationship between Donette Stringer underestimated the relation between the relationship between Donette and Brianna. Like, that's like the little That's her son's her grandmother. Son's grandmother. Like she's going right. to tell her. Like you can't, like, right. She's going to tell her. If String, String would have to have done a lot of planning or have to, it's just sometimes like what Levy said. Basically, when String talked to Levy about that, he was like, I mean, of course. Like everyone, once again, everyone seemed to know the score on that, except the only person that expected more was Stringer because it was his dirty laundry. It was his dirty secret that he expected everybody to protect it and people aren't protecting it. Donette didn't even know. And Levy's like, well, what do you want me to do? It's her son. You know what I mean? So um, that is... And he he also underestimates, I think, even though... Uh, you know, they were uh, jarred by the fact that it, it was a suicide. He underestimates how many people really fucked well, with Well, they loved him. They loved yeah. him. Yeah, so like, it, you might have had, you might have had a specific view of him or a specific opinion of him, um, but they loved him. So yeah, the people are still hurting over it. They want closure. So, I, and this one, I don't agree with you that Stringer's a fuckboy, like Stringer, but he did play <laughs> but this But you wrong. agree he miscalculated. He played this wrong, yeah. He played this totally wrong. Um, all right, now that brings us to a little trivia. So uh, a second ago, we were talking about um, the hit on um, uh, Poot and, and and the Barksdale Corner. Uh, by the way, how long did it take you to realize it was Snoop? Is that something that you realized right away? Well, yeah, because uh, Marlo put her on in a huge scene where Marlo says, you know, girl, it's your turn, and she, go, and she goes, uh, it's about mm-hmm. fucking time. So Mar- Marlo yes. put her on, and Marlo putting her on made me think that Later on, coming through, she was gonna get busy. Yeah, I mean, I knew she she would. I mean, we didn't. I I I don't know if uh, people because this is the only time in this series that you see Snoop dressed this right. way. That's why I was like, yeah. uh, you know, it was, it was very brilliant because mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't didn't see this coming. Um, so that being said, as as some people know, that is in real life, her name is Snoop. It's Felicia Snoop Pearson, right. who uh, served time for a second degree murder. And the the I think a lot of people probably knew that. Here's what I didn't know in looking through her extensive real life. This is her real life criminal history, not the TV criminal history. She used to charge a hundred dollars to pistol whip people. That's dope. Yeah, I was like, what an enterprise. Yeah, that's dope. What? Yeah, I, what an you enterprise. Know how fierce you gotta be that like that's a little lady. You know how fierce right. you gotta be to to she got to be a fucking savage. Shout out Snoop Pearson. She got to be a savage. Like, to pistol whip, to get pistol whipped, like, by, like, she, like, yeah, that, that, she got to be a savage. I, I would love to know how that order went. Hey, uh, let me get, uh, 
two pistol whips. Yeah. Uh, how much for just one whip? Just one, yeah. Like just, yeah, just, just one little smack. Smack him with the pistol one time. Damn. Just, yeah. Damn. How much for that? You gotta be a, these streets is something else, man. <laughs> yes, I'm Shit. telling you. She was in them streets for real, for real. For real. Yeah. And um, I, I'm sure at some point we'll do a deep dive in her. So I'll save the other particulars about her background and childhood um, and how she grew up on the streets for that. But uh, yeah, I just I came across that. I was like, she used to, it's something she admitted in the interview that she charged people $100 to pistol with mm. people. I was like, ooh, she a gangster for real. All right, file this away for later. As we said, the biggest one is the, uh, the escapades of Squeak and Bernard. Uh, that's a big one. Um, Daniel's telling McNulty that he's going to need to find a new home. This is like a repeat of him being on the boat. Uh, that is also a big one. Um, what were some other file this away for later moments that you spotted? Carver looking out for the kids. Carver, look, yeah. Carver looking out for the kids. Carver taking an active interest in how those children on that on, in Amsterdam slash Amsterdam are treated uh, is a big one. Bubbles finding Johnny the way he found him. That's a good um, one. Is a big father's away for for later moment, and a, another great scene uh, is when D'Agostino is talking to Carcetti, and they're talking about, and, and something gets said during this scene to where you know she tells him not to go at uh, Mary Royce too hard, and to lay back and wait till another witness kind of gets killed. Them using human life as a tool to get what they want, uh, people using a human life as a tool to get what they want is a major, major father's away for a later moment. It also is something that ages really ages well because really well. That we're seeing a lot of evidence of that right, right. now mm -hmm. um, and have, you know, throughout the years. Uh, yeah, I, that was one of the ones I had marked down is when Royce blows off Carcetti about the dead witness. That's a big file this away for a later moment. Another one uh, is Poot surviving the hit on the corner. Mm. Yeah. That is a big one. That's another, that's that's a big one. Um, all right. Finally, Van, the moment of truth. Uh, who won this episode? In a landslide, Squeak and Bernard. <laughs> Not even close. And it, 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 is, it is hard to come to Another conclusion. Uh, they were the MVP uh, of the MVPs, co-MVPs. Yeah, they're, they're MVPs and Rookie of the Years, like Jason Kidd and Grant Hill. Remember that time they got Jason Kidd and Grant Hill got co-Rookie of the Years? Yep, yep. yeah, yeah, yep, yep. And, and normally those co's always feel, I always interpret those as a bad choice because I'm just like, just make a decision. Right. All right, I know it's hard, just make a decision. But in this case, with Bernard and Squeak, it was completely warranted that they would be uh, co-MVPs. Um, uh, but I'll also offer as a potential winner for this episode, maybe not on the degree of, of those two, despite the way that he did it, I could also easily make the case for McNulty mm, because yeah, true. he he successfully shifts the the detail and the, oper and the investigation to Stringer Bell, which pretty much powers the rest of season three. Right. Um, getting them to shift was um, a, a huge component to how this season kind of unfolds. So uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we have wrapped up episode seven, Backburners of season three. We move on to episode eight. Uh, these, I think these last few 
Mm. Man, so much there. Fire. So much there. Fire. Fire. Mm-hmm. My moment of truth is coming, boy. Oh, I'm shut up. down. I can't wait for this. You already know it's going down. But anyway, thank File you guys Jamel's for the support. excitement away for later. That's right. <laughs> and I'm just going to ratchet it up every single episode. Um, anyway, thank you guys for, for taking the time out to listen and for your support and continue to tweet us. Um, uh, shout out to the person that tweeted you and said, Poot is going to eventually be what the vice president of Foot Locker. Right, yeah, that Poot. Yeah, file that away. Hope oh, I didn't give away. Right, file that one away for right. later. Shout out to you who tweeted that. Anyway, uh, keep watching the wire and keep listening to us. We'll see y'all next time. Yeah.